Every wall that exists in our modern built environment is an invitation. An open invitation to bring more beauty, delight, and connection into our lives and communities through art. Hi, I'm Morgan and hostess of If These Walls Could Talk. Do you know of any bare walls that could use a transformation? Whether you're an artist or an art advocate, this podcast will provide the inspiration to make your next mural project a huge success. Artists aren't afraid to take risks yeah. and aren't afraid to live in not the most perfect places. But yeah. for them, they are perfect places. And for us, we all understand that at the end is that, well, yeah, of course, it's not scary. It's not dangerous. I think artists are willing to look past what everyone else kind of sees as danger. Hi, this is Morgan. And thanks for joining me for another episode of If These Walls Could Talk. Today's guest is Amanda Golden, and she works for Designing Local, based in Ohio. And I met Amanda when she helped Los Altos develop their master plan. And I was super impressed with her enthusiasm and smarts around getting community input, developing a master plan that reflected you know, the nuanced character of a community and also sort of won over to the idea of how important it is for communities to have a roadmap. Like everybody's on the same page about what they want to bring into their community so that there's less resistance on a project by project basis of the kinds of art and getting art projects approved. So really more great art can get made. So without further ado, Let's jump right into the interview with Amanda Golden. All right. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today with another episode of If These Walls Could Talk. This morning, I have with me Amanda Golden. She's Managing Principal of Designing Local, based in Ohio, and they create master plans for communities so that they have a template to develop their public art programs. Is that pretty accurate, Amanda? Sure is. Thanks for having me, Morgan. Good, good. Hey, I have a question. How does one become a public mural arts master planner? That sounds, first of all, like a really badass <laughs> job title. <laughs> it also sounds really ambitious. And I'm just wondering how you put the pieces together to create that. Sure. So I am a city planner by trade and went to school for city and regional planning at The Ohio State University and really was learning how cities kind of come together and all the different components and how they really impact all their residents' quality of life. And I was working at a planning firm here in Columbus who was exporting their work all over the country and arts and culture was never a part of the discussion. In fact, it was never even talked about in any of the meetings. And I really saw that as an opportunity to begin talking about arts and culture as it relates to city government and urban planning. And when I, I was about to graduate, I approached all of our mentors and we asked them about opening an arts and culture studio in their organizations and in their companies. And all of them said to us, arts and culture 
don't really have value when it comes to planning. And we don't believe that we would want to invest any money in making that something that uh, we work on. And so they said, you know, it's a great idea, but you know, we're not interested. And so my friend and I, Josh Lapp, who is my co-founder and also a principal at our company, and I decided, well, if they're not going to do it, who's going to do it and why not us? And so in May of 2014, we started designing local. And by October of 2014, we had our first project just outside of Atlanta. And Morgan, you asked about how we can kind of how we developed the job title of public art master planner. We just kind of made it up. We knew that public art and placemaking and culture had a major role in planning efforts and that it wasn't getting the attention that we knew that it should be getting. No one was paying attention to its importance and its value in representing communities. And so, you know, we just tried what we could try and then we became public art master planners. And by December, we had our second project in San Luis Obispo. And then the projects continued from there. And what we found is that cities are really looking for ways to help express the creativity that they have within them. And that it's given the opportunity, the right opportunity, that that is possible through public art planning and making sure that everything is done well and properly funded and a process is, is kind of created to run that. All right. And tell me, you just mentioned that to develop the creativity within the town, is that both identifying like the values or look and feel as well as developing their own mm-hmm. art community or artists within their community? Sure. So I think many different cities have many different goals around what an art master plan can do. And in our practice, we believe that who knows better the values that they kind of want to express through their art than the people who actually live there. I think that there are some inherent values that all American cities want to express. And we believe that there are other values that are unique to each city that also should be expressed alongside those values that are expressed everywhere. And so a lot of our practice focuses on asking the community both what makes their city unique and also what kind of feelings they want their art to have when it's actually commissioned and then placed in the community. And so I love um, love that. Yeah, yeah. And because we work all over the country, we're able to really see the varying values that each community has. You know, the the values in Los Altos are totally different than the values in Montpelier, Vermont, not only because of the geography, but because of the people that live there and make up that city. Just to go back, like, when I, whenever I start a project, my leading question is, how do you want to, how do you want to feel when you look at this artwork? How do you want the mm-hmm. space to feel? And that's what we're doing with art. Art is a feeling that can be shared. It's, that's the most powerful thing about it to me. Mm-hmm. Although I would say, you know, you can't please everybody. Some people want something that's more intellectual and not as right. you know, emotive. So that's, that's also there. But I have another question, which is why not just wing it? I mean, what's the risk for cities to just try stuff, see what sticks? Why do they need a master plan? Well, there are multiple reasons why a city needs a master plan. Primarily because they need to protect themselves from any kind of lawsuits that could come up. So 
in a master plan, the main thing that is addressed is a funding mechanism. So if the community says that public art is a major desire for them to have in their community, how does it live and how is it funded? That's a huge question. So we develop local funding initiatives that are specific to whatever locality that we're working in. A lot of times there's an allocation from their general fund. There could be a percent for arts dedication out of CIP projects, which are capital improvement projects. There could be a requirement for private developers to have public art incorporated into their private development. It could be a percentage of an admissions tax. The list is long as to what kind of funding mechanisms there could be. But in order to get to what they're funding, a city needs to understand how they're going to spend the money once it's funded. And so the master plan really lays that out. So we begin all of our processes by asking the community what it is that they envision for public art in their city. And many of them talk about public art being an opportunity to increase pride. So how can public art really celebrate those unique qualities and special qualities of each of those cities? A lot of people talk about public art being the differentiator in their public spaces and at their gateways. So how do you know in large regions when you're coming into a new city through public art? It's a great opportunity. And many of them talk about public art being a major component of their public space. And so, you know, we've, we've all been in parks and on streets where we feel like, oh, this is a very nicely designed street or a really nice park, but it feels like it's missing something. And that flavor usually is public art. And so we kind of develop some strategies for how to spend the money once it's funded. But it doesn't end there. It's important to think about once you're spending public dollars on a piece of public art, how is that art maintained? Who's going to maintain it? Who owns it? Does the artist come back every couple of years and do a little tune-up on each piece? You know, how, how is that done? It's also important to understand the mechanism in which people can give art to the city. Without a policy in place, the city isn't really in a position to say no to something that's given. And a lot of times people are interested in giving sculpture or pieces of art maybe that, that they don't have space for in their homes. We're seeing that a lot with our older community who are trying to get rid of things that they've had in their home and they're, they're donating those pieces to cities. And cities, have, if without a gift policy, have no mechanism to say, you know, no, we can't really take that on. That's something that we have to care for. Mm-hmm. And so to, to answer your question, you know, I think that there's a balance of both, of allowing artists to kind of develop their own practice and put public art in spaces where they can without the city's help. But I also think there's a major role of the city to both be able to fund public art and be able to take care of it. And then one of the things that we frequently talk about is when cities are investing in public art, it really gives local artists an opportunity to learn something and be uh, their, their economy stimulated by the city's spending. So are you involved? Are you involved in the public art program in in Columbus, Ohio? And how is that going? I am involved in the public art in Columbus, Ohio. While we live in Columbus, we work all over the country. And last year, we were given the opportunity to help the city of Columbus think about how they wanted to spend about five hundred thousand dollars on public art. So there's a a huge $25 million streetscape that that happened on 
our major thoroughfare in one of our most popular neighborhoods, the Short North Arts District. And we were hired to think about how that money should be spent. So when the city is spending capital dollars, they can only put the money that they're spending and whatever they're purchasing or commissioning in the right of way, which really means building to building in the air above. It can't be attached to building. It has to be on the sidewalk or over the street, which is a really interesting challenge for public artists. And so we worked with the community for about six months to understand where the locations were going to be within this new streetscape project. And we narrowed the process down to eight different locations along this two-mile-long corridor. And we also developed some values about what that art should be. And some of those, some of those values were about celebrating the diversity of the city. And then others were about thinking about the history of Columbus and really allowing this new public art piece to really celebrate that. And we just selected the finalist who will be doing the commission for the Art on High public art project. After we did the, the plan, we were then hired to run the selection process for the city. And we had an amazing response. We had 154 artists who applied and we had a, a really amazing panel of eight who selected the top three that we then invited to develop proposals. Wow. Four. And, and those, those three proposals were really fantastic. And, and they were really amazing artists. Um, and we just selected the one who is going to get the commission. And his name is Mark Regelman. He's a really, really talented artist who just won the Public Art Network Year in Review Award for his piece in Boston called The Meeting House. And the city of Columbus and we, our firm is really excited to continue to work with him as we think wow. that... He's really passionate and excited and is really curious about getting to know the place and really creating site-specific work that is unique to where he's creating work for. So. Oh, I can't wait to look him up. Yeah, I mean, I guess my yeah, thought is, good. you know, every community needs your... I mean, it would be great if you lived here in my small town, but like, you know, <laughs> they just don't maybe know or have the knowledge of what it takes or how to put something together but also i mean right yeah the political will the money is yeah. not there for art so even to hire someone who knows as much as you do i mean what would you tell a small town it's like look we don't even have a budget for a little art committee and there's no cohesion right. we want to take the first steps what's the first steps out of complete disarray <laughs> for an arts program? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll use an example from here in Ohio that we just finished a project in. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Sandusky. It's right on Lake Erie. They have Cedar Point, which is one of the largest amusement parks in the United States. It has three and a half million people come there a year. And they're a city of 30,000, which is a small city. They have a really amazing downtown and really interesting compact neighborhoods that kind of surround and radiate out from the downtown. They have been talking about public art for years. And in January, they developed a funding mechanism in which they dedicated 1% of their admissions tax. So an admissions tax is when a tourist comes in and purchases tickets to something. So in their case, it's Cedar Point. In other, in other cities who use admissions taxes, it's sports games and concerts and like sports festivals and things like that. 
that are ticketed. So there's a percentage assigned to the ticket and it's just a tax. And in Sandusky, that tax was generating, I believe, like a half a million dollars a year. And so their council said, we want art and we have to be creative about funding art because we're limited on our funds. We're a small city and we have a lot of other things we have to fund. Police, fire, roads, you know, all of these other things that the cities are funding. But we have this opportunity to dedicate 1% of the admissions tax that as we invest that percentage of the admissions tax in art, we'll, we will see our tourism go up and therefore the admissions tax rate will go up. More tourists is more money for public art. So they really understood and had a vision for understanding how an investment in public art is an investment in their economy. Mm-hmm. And so we were hired by the city of Sandusky to think about how they can spend that money over the next 10 years. And so we just had their plan adopted on Tuesday night this week, which is a big deal. It's the first public art master plan in the state of Ohio to be adopted. Mm -hmm. Really amazing for for a city of that size. But but that community really had really strong leadership that believed in the power of art and believed in the power of art in its built environment. And I think that those two things have to be there because if a city is going to be leading the effort to invest in public art rather than the artist community leading the effort to invest in public art, then you have to have your leadership bought into understanding the value of investing in that and what it does to all the other sectors that the city is constantly working uh, to make better. And that's public safety, perception from the rest of the state and the country. You know, if we're investing in art, then we care about our residents and we care about our tourism and we care about our downtown and we want to make this place a place that people want to come and be a part of. And, and then, uh, I'm sorry, you need to change your name to the Master Planner Slayer because you... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it could get any bigger, but the points you're making, I should just listen to this over and over again when I get up. It's my why. It's, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing that you know you're you're able to so clearly put together all these pieces. It is going to be benefiting all aspects of the community. Art isn't just oh, it's pretty. Let's you know, it's engaging right. the economic and the safety and the housing prices. I mean, they talk about gentrification. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes that's just because the place spiffs up and housing prices go up and a lot of a lot of times that happens right. directly as a result of art efforts is that true would you yeah i agree i agree with that 100 percent. you know i think that the expression in planning is everyone follows the artist and then the artists get pushed out and they go to the next place and then everyone follows the artist again and that's the next cool neighborhood or the next cool city mm-hmm. yes i 100 percent agree with that it's because artists aren't afraid to take risks yeah. and aren't afraid to live in not the most perfect places, but yeah. for them, they are perfect places. And for us, we all understand that at the end is that, well, yeah, of course, it's not scary. It's not dangerous. I think artists are willing to look past what everyone else kind of sees as danger. Yeah. It's tough because the, you know, the high price of housing in the Bay Area, I don't know what that's going to do to the arts mm-hmm. community. But you know, New York City has always been super expensive to live and has a thriving arts community. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Yeah, they do. It really, for me, I am able to make a living because there's a strong economy here and there's patrons and, right. and money. So 
the money does go hand in hand with art. So there's kind of both sides. One, you know, emerging artists need to be able to take risks and not have huge overhead so they can develop their art. That's one philosophy. But anyway, we also need patrons. Like cities. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like cities. But also, Morgan, I think it's interesting to think about how public art actually creates art patrons for other forms of art. You know, a lot of people believe that art isn't for them because it lives in museums, but public art really gives everyone the opportunity to experience art. And when it's high quality art and is paid for and doesn't look like someone didn't care enough to invest in it, that's when people can say, oh, well, I, I mean, I feel comfortable around this mural. It really touches me. Maybe I should go into a gallery or maybe I should go into the museum on a free day. And then it really does kind of build that appreciation for art and create patrons for the artists and create a support system for the arts collectively in a community. So, mm-hmm. hmm. And let's talk about murals for a second, because I, I do have a yeah. mural slant on this podcast. Yeah. Tell me, like, first of all, I think I've noticed, I just need confirmation. There's a trend in mural art. Right, going on. And I think mm-hmm. it's fueled by Instagram. Mm-hmm. Art seems to be getting better and better at artists, a yeah. lot more art. So tell me how you see murals now trending in the overall public art sort of, there's so many different types of art to choose from. How are murals growing, changing, and what are some good uses of murals that you have seen? It's a great question. I think that for cities who are just starting their public art program, murals are a really great opportunity to make a big impact with a smaller investment than you would spend on a sculpture because there's not engineering and there's not landscape architect that has to be involved. It's not in the right of way. You don't have to consider the turning radius and things like that, right? So murals are a really great opportunity to begin a public art program, kick it off well, and really allow emerging artists to participate in that public art program. We've noticed in different trends in murals that there are a ton of interactive elements. I think you and I have talked about that before, where people want to pose with the murals. I think that no longer they're just a snapshot of the thing that the artist painted. Now, I think that people are more willing to stand in front of them and take their pictures. And I think that the artists are responding and creating art for that reason, mm-hmm. which is really interesting to watch, I think. And then the other thing too that I think murals are doing are giving public space kind of a new... It's kind of turning public the thought of public space inside out. I think where people have traditionally thought that you know alleys are dead... Murals are really bringing back life to those alleys and are really giving people the confidence to spend time in alleys and not feel dangerous about them or feel a little bit of unease. Mm-hmm. And a lot of cities are using murals to transform those alleys and not just have them be for dumpsters and loading zones, right? And I think that's awesome. Another thing we've seen in the mural space is including the actual street, especially in alleys, and creating an entire experience where you've got murals on both sides of the wall and on the street. And then there's usually, when that's happening, some overhead lighting opportunities as well. And people are just spending time in those areas, which I think is really interesting and compelling and is transforming kind of overlooked spaces into something that's worth looking at. Can you give me a couple examples? 
Chattanooga is doing a ton of work with murals in their alleys. And then I just saw on Instagram, actually speaking of Instagram, this alley in New York that was red, pink, purple, and they're just giant half spheres. Hmm. And they're painted all down this alley. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even said the word Instagram, but that's sort of behind all this. I mean, every time someone snaps a photo of themselves in front of a mural in Sandusky, they're somewhat adding to the advertising, to travel advertising. Yeah. Yeah. They are, and it's free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of artists I'm seeing are beginning to put above their names, they're putting, you know, their Instagram handle, which is super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're putting the at symbol and then their username mm-hmm. so that people can tag them in the mural. Which yeah. is great. It's great. Flipping all it's that. advertising <laughs> for them too, you know? Yeah. yeah. One thing I have found is as an artist, I find a lot more quantity of work in the private and commercial, not residential, but building owners and things that are outside public art projects, which can often be really slow. What do you see in that commercial art projects are able to offer the community? Is it kind of like they often don't work with a master plan or maybe there is some collaboration or there's at least an approval process by the city, but could more art get made outside the public sphere for the public good than can get done within the civic system? That's a great, great, great question. So you are in the Bay Area, so you're seeing extreme development happen everywhere you go. And because of that, all the architecture is really similar. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's, you know, commercial space in the bottom and then above it's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 stories of apartments. Mm-hmm. And whether it's in the Bay Area or it's in any major urban core area, there's a ton of development happening. And I think that all the architecture looks the exact same or we run the risk of it all looking the exact same. In Columbus, there are different types of material that are being used and there, there's a ton of angles. That's the new trend here right now ton of angles and, and different heights and setbacks in the building. So when we're building like this, everything in 10 years is going to look very similar to everything else that was built during this time period. Mm-hmm. And the developers are looking for ways to set their developments apart. And unfortunately, they're not doing it through architecture. <laughs> so I think a really great opportunity for them is to do it through art. And, you know, there are developers here in Columbus that we're talking to about what does an investment in art for your bottom line. And we are always talking about uniqueness and how art really can create a draw to those spaces. It's free marketing. You know, they're investing in the art, but it becomes free marketing. You're like, oh, you live in that building with that sculpture out in front of it. Or, oh, every day I come home, I'm seeing this mural on the entrance of my building. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And I'm People I like put my dog in front of it every yeah. single day. They love it. They love yeah. color. They love to see things like that. And yeah. we encourage developers to incorporate art into their development, both for uniqueness, but money speaks to them. And so we talk about how it increases their bottom line as well. And I will say in larger developments that are largely on green fields, 
So maybe new developments that have multiple buildings, not just a city block. It's interesting to think about how a, a master plan could be created for those developments so that it isn't just, well, I've got this wall and it's made of stucco or it's polished concrete and I'm going to put a mural here. How could you have an entire development that has maybe you know 20 buildings and on your main building, you've got a giant mural that spans three stories. But as you go back into some of the green spaces, you have some sculpture or some really interesting landscape opportunities to sit down and reflect and walk your dog or have a glass of wine with your friends or whatever it is. But thinking on those large developments and developing public art master plans for those large developments is something that I think is really important as developers continue to develop large-scale development. Hmm. And is there such thing as too much art, like a place gets overwhelmed? And how do you know when you reach that yeah. point? I think that there are two things that could happen. You can, developers can kind of go crazy with art and have no kind of identity within their collection. Yeah, no cohesion and no identity within their collection. Or, you know, they could hire somebody, whether it's a consultant or an architect or an artist to be the one who kind of controls the collection and the messaging and, and the experience with all of the pieces of art as they culminate together. I've been to a few developments that are rather new and they've, you know, one in particular has multiple murals by all different artists. And while it's very interesting, it's extremely overwhelming for someone like me who prefers to see something very large and be struck by that rather than having to look at a hundred different things and, and try to decide what I'm supposed to look at. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Go something ahead. that inspired me actually. It was about five years ago the city of Gilroy put out a call for artists, for mural artists to do a large wall. And they were going to get, I think it was eight different mural artists. And they were offering a lower budget than, you know, a house painter would have been paid to paint it. And it seemed like this small community needs some help and feedback that like, if they get eight different artists who just throw up whatever, and it's all next to each other, it's going to actually feel maybe slightly disorienting and not mm-hmm. activating for the space. It's going to right. junk it up. And the, the planning part or thinking about scale, if we have one big wall, what's the goal? You know, how, do we want to ar- activate multiple right. artists? Maybe they work together. And so that was actually one of the first moments that I thought, I have experience that I could share. So I sent them a letter. Of course, I never got a response. <laughs> Making uh, those suggestions. <laughs> yes. Collection is everything, right? Cohesion of your collection is really important as well. Because you want it to be an experience as a city, as a developer, as a person in their home. You want what you're collecting and spending money on to actually have a cohesion and a brand. Because the idea behind the art for cities and developers is that you're removing this like kind of contrite logo that you might have that says Los Altos. And art is the thing that is the brand for your city or your place or your home or your person, right? And you, you live that every day, right? Like your art is your brand. Yeah. Hey, I had just had a thought, a good idea, a new business idea for us both. Maybe it already exists. <laughs> um. <laughs> The question was, is there an app for that? Like for a city, they can have an app that lists their public art collection that people can go visit. 
and sort of check off or like a scavenger hunt. That's I'm sure they do, but that's yeah, yeah, for it to be online for travelers, and it would be a great app mm-hmm. to go to a city and say, "Hey, here's our your top rated public art." It's like Travelocity, but for art. That could be interesting. I love it. I would download it. <laughs> I think some cities have was their collection online. Start that, but yeah. I was listening. Go ahead. Yeah. Start that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great idea. I love it. Okay. Hey, I am in this because I love art and I have felt the personal impact of you know, being in a space that's cared for, that's delighted me and had a personal experience. And so I get hooked in. Tell me about a work of art that has moved you. And maybe from a long time ago when you got hooked into art or recently, just share that with us so we can experience art through your eyes. Hmm. There are so many opportunities to express, but I You know, I think the one experience that kind of sticks out in my mind is I was traveling to North Carolina with Josh, my business partner, and we knew that there was a Janet Eckelman sculpture in Greenville at LaBauer Park. And it was almost dusk. It was like a Tuesday or something. We were like, oh, let's just, let's just get off and let's just see it and we'll, we'll keep going and we're still going to make it by the time we want to get there. So we got off, we parked at this park and we kind of walked through the park to get to where the Janet Eckelman piece was. And you kind of came through these two buildings and it opened. The park just kind of opened and it's near their art museum. And I remember standing there and seeing her piece above this field. And there were kids of all different races and ages playing football together. They were playing, you know, like touch football and throwing balls. There were people sitting on the ground having a picnic for dinner. There were old people who had their chairs and were reading the newspaper. And all of this was happening under her amazing piece in this park. Mm. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting to think about the power of public art to bring people together. But I think it goes beyond the power of public art. I think it's the power of really thoughtfully curated public space. Um, and, and public art is a big component of thoughtfully created public space that is accessible to all. And, and that experience has really stuck with both Josh and I because we can always call that experience back into our mind of seeing all different ages, all different races playing together under this piece of art. And it was lit from the top and the space below was well lit. And it just created this really amazing place that I think is really special for the people who live there and probably removes a lot of barriers that would otherwise exist in that park if her piece wasn't there. And if you haven't had a chance to hear Janet speak, she has a great TED Talk uh, online about how she is really a creator of public space through her public art. And and, uh, she just is really wonderful in that way and being able to express the power of of public art to create public space. So, Thank you so much for that. I can't wait to look at the mm-hmm. TED Talk and I'll share the image of that sculpture in the show notes also. Awesome. I'm so inspired by what you just said. Everything we've talked about and just, you know, the vision that the curated public spaces 
bring us together and help us create the kind of world that we want to live in. And that what is what the markers we surround ourselves with influence that. Like right. we're hugely take cues from if the benches are facing this way or that way, or the colors are inviting, or if there's a little sunshine there. I mean, we arrange ourselves right. around our external cues and that we can, mm-hmm. art and just curated, thoughtful spaces bring our community closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning and sharing your thoughts and your vision for public art and public spaces, Amanda. It's my pleasure, Morgan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck. I, I hope that you go forth and multiply lots of master plans <laughs> as master planner slayer, Amanda Golden. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Morgan. <laughs>